Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. My name is Jaime Lopez, and I am from Mexico. God used an American missionary to reach my life when I was a teenager. When I became a follower of Jesus, my father kicked me out, and I went knocking on the missionary's door. I lived with him for two years, and he discipled me in a practical way and encouraged me to go to a Bible institute. There, one of my teachers gave me a book, which made me want to go and help the persecuted church and reach those living in countries where the gospel is not welcome. I had an opportunity to help the persecuted church in Mexico. People were losing their right to school, electricity, and water. Even today, there are parts of Mexico in which Christians are killed or displaced. After 9-11, God opened my eyes. During the 10 Bible study here at Trinity, God showed me that I could use soccer to bring him glory and bring better life to others. I've been helping with a soccer nonprofit in the South Bronx. Our family traveled to a 99% Muslim country in North Africa to see how we could serve. There, God presented us with an opportunity to work with a soccer nonprofit run by a local believer. Pray that God provides the funds for us to move there this year. Pray for the local family we'll be working with who face persecution because of their faith. Pray for our team of fellow workers from Latin America that people may see Jesus in us. We are all one church, one body, and we are all, and we are all loved by God and called to be saints. Iwas nugangulun, padeshikul, pila kaunla, manashikunli, hankundina, alalimesh pina, algudialu, welekino hubu ella nekalin, kifas mediatenash, malpuchi, skunli epdertam hadokli, karum Allah, rah Allah hu ali, tom kin, skunli epdertam aliu. Rah al Mashia, the Shua Yu Ali Met, Akhtar Menashi, the Bad Menabin Mutza, Hu Alila, Lin, the Allah Kishvalina, Chukunli Kader, Rakhana, El Amhabat, the Al Mashia, Ves Al Mahana, Ulal Dek, Ulal Tadu, Ulal Ju, Ulal Lera, Ula Al Hatar, Ulal Sif, Inam Tup. Tap Allah, la gutta, and they come to the Mukarkurlu. And spa, Halgan in the garden, Biahot, the Biahot. While I can fat all more, Ulha, Atna, and Tsar, Tom Bahar, the Kamsliqana. One am Tirkan. Will let him mood. Walla Hayat, Walla Malaika, Walla Orwasa. Well, it or mold the hard look, well, the hall and muscabet. Well, it was the tsema, well, a loo, well, a work. Well, it stashi horlum has cream, the kadru ibrardokona, al mahaba. 
Thanks, Jaime. So, Jaime speaks Spanish, and he speaks English, and now he just read for us in Arabic. Um, I'm, I can kind of speak English, and, but I'm fluent in Texan, so I guess that makes me bilingual. Um, so, let me start with a couple of, a few questions this morning. First question is, how many of you are currently or have ever been a child? That's about 80% of us. Okay. Um, so those of you who answered yes to that and raised your hand, how many of you have or have had parents at some point? Again, that's about 80% of us. Now, here's a question that you might have to think a little bit harder on, or maybe not. As a child, what was the one thing that you wanted to know from your parents? What was the most important thing that you wanted to know from your parents? Are we there yet? <laughs> okay, okay, maybe. Um, that they care about you, right? The one thing that we want to know as kids is, am I loved? Am I loved? Because if I know that I'm loved, then everything else falls into place. If I know that I'm loved, then I know that I'm secure, then I know that I'm going to be taken care of, then I know that maybe we're not there yet, but we're going to get there. Right? The most important thing to know, what I really want to know as a kid, is am I loved? And quite frankly, that's the thing that most of us adults really want to know too. Am I loved? This morning we come to Romans chapter 8 with the end of Romans chapter 8 as we've been going through this this journey called All Roads Lead to Romans, where we've been looking at Paul's defense of the gospel. And what, what we come to at the end of Romans 8 is where Paul just has this um, burst of exclamation about God's love for us. How, um, how can we wrap our minds around this love that God has for us? After eight chapters where Paul has just been laying out his defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he comes to this place where he just, he gets to the place where he's run out of explanation. I mean, how can you explain that, that out of nowhere, God shows up and, and essentially says, I would rather die than live without you. How do you explain that? Well, Paul stops trying to explain it, and he just asks a few questions. And these questions are not um, questions that necessarily are meant to bring answers, but they're questions that are meant to bring amazement. The questions that Paul asks are not new to any of us. We've all asked them. 
you've asked them in the doctor's office when the diagnosis was not very good. You've asked them in the lawyer's office when you're sitting across the table from your soon-to-be ex-spouse. You've asked them after you got the call from the bank or the call from the emergency room or the call from the police officer. We've all asked these questions. They are questions of of pain and of problem and of circumstance. Paul wants us to wrestle with and know the truth behind them. Now the first question that Paul asks in verse 31 is really a summation of all that he's talked about up to this point. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What are these things that he's talking about? These things are the... um, it's eight chapters of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul has spent eight chapters helping us to understand what God has done on our behalf. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul shows that we are unequivocally condemned because of our sin. That whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, you have turned your back on God. And he says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then he begins in the second half of chapter 3 and he introduces these terms like justification by faith and redemption and propitiation. And, and he begins to show us what God did in order to bring us into relationship with God, even though we were separated because of our own sin. And then in chapter 4, he gives us these two great examples of faith. He he points to to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and to David. One who was before the law, one who was after the law. And he says both of them are saved by faith. And then he goes into chapter 5, and he talks about our, our rescue from sin and the security that we have in Jesus, and that we're not only rescued from sin, but we are rescued to reign over sin. And thus we are secure in Him. And you might remember that I had on my on my flip charts, you know, I talked about those supers. Remember that? Yeah, nobody was here that day. Um, or you, never mind. Anyway, it was just, it's this exclamation of, of chapter 5 that we are victors. But then he, he addresses two questions that you must address when you're talking about security of salvation. He, he addresses first the question of, well, can we continue in sin if we're secure in our salvation? And he talks about that in chapter 6 and 7. And then the next question is, but what about suffering? If I'm secure in my, my salvation, why do I still suffer? And he talks about that in chapter 8, which we've looked at the last two weeks. And so he comes at the conclusion of all that, and he says in verse 31, What then shall we say in response to these things? And in answering his own question, he then poses a couple more questions, or several more questions. These are all questions that we've asked in times of anger, in times of suffering, in times of confusion, in times of sin. We've all asked these questions. They're not new, but maybe the answers are. So Paul asks in verse 31, If God is for us, Who can be against us? Did you get the question? Did you get what the question is not? The question is not who can be against us, right? 
that's an easy one to answer. My boss, inflation, the IRS, disease, you know, we can make a list of who and what is against us. But that's not the question that Paul asked. The question is, if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, Paul's point is, God is for us. Not might be, could be, will be, has been, um, sometimes maybe possibly on a good day is. No, God is for us. And Paul's thought is that if God is on our side, then it doesn't matter who's on the other side because we can't be beaten. The sovereign God of the universe is for us. In Isaiah 49, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breasts and have no compassion on the child she has born? Answer, of course not. Who of you, among you mothers has had, a, had your child at your breast, and as soon as your child has finished feeding, you set the child aside and you say, now what was that kid's name? No. You can't do that. And so, God continues and he says, though she may forget... I will not forget you. In fact, you may not know this, but God has a tattoo. Do you know that? God is all inked up. The very next verse says, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God's got a tattoo on the palm of his hand that says Keith. That says Jamie. That says Natalie. That says Ray. God has you engraved on the palm of his hand. The point is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God is for you. He will not forget you. You are engraved on his hand. Now, knowing that, can I ask you again? If God is for you, who can be against you? Can death really harm you? Can suffering really rob your life? Can your purpose be taken away and your value diminished? Uh, no. What did Jesus tell his disciples? I have established my called out ones and the very gates of hell will not prevail against them. Friends, if you are a child of God, no one, no thing can defeat you. You are protected because you are his. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God is for me. Okay, I didn't say whisper it. I mean, you got to say it like you believe it. Some of you said it like, well, yeah, maybe I think God is for me. But you see, Paul understood that we might have that question. That we might say, well, but how do I know? And so he gives us, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
If you want proof that God is on your side, how much more do you need to know that God loves you, that He gave His own Son for you? Next Sunday, I get to um, do baby blessings. And um, I'm going to actually get to, to bless Naomi. Emmy and uh, Jaime's uh, daughter is one. Now, what if I came to you guys? And I know you guys, and you guys love God, and, and, and you love your little girl, and she's beautiful. And so I come to, to Jaime and Emmy, and I say, you know, she's a great little girl, but would you give her to die for a good man? I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. So would you give her to die for me? Or maybe would you give her to die for a righteous man like Tim? You know, you know that, that kind of ups the bar a little bit. How about for an enemy? And of course, you would say no. Romans 5 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, when the verdict came down and you were declared guilty of sin and the wage of sin is death, God said, take my son instead. God so loved. God so loved that when... When the price for your redemption came due, he did not spare his own son. That's how deeply he loves you. Is God for you? Turn to your neighbor and say, God is for me. So, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If he did not spare his own son... The very best that God had to offer. Why would he hold anything else back? If he would allow his son to be nailed to a cross for you. How can you think that he will not also give you everything else you need? Friends, sometimes my emotions tell me otherwise. Sometimes my circumstance indicate to me. Otherwise, But the fact remains that God loves me so much that he gave his own son and therefore he will give me everything else that I need. In verse 33, Paul gives us another question. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. In other words, what person can stand in judgment over someone whom God has already declared just? just? Answer, no one. Any, anybody um, watch this series on FX called um, The People vs. OJ? Anybody watch that? All right. How many of you have no idea who OJ is? Cause you, you, all right. So maybe I'm dating myself. But there's this series that recounts the trial of O.J. Simpson's murder of Nicole Brown Simpson. And I haven't seen this series, but I've seen some ads for it. And it got me thinking, what would happen if somebody showed up now, what, 20 years later? If somebody showed up 
with a videotape that, that proved without doubt that O.J. Simpson was guilty of murdering Nicole Brown Simpson. What would happen legally? Anybody know? Nothing. Not a thing. You know why? Because Judge Ito already pronounced him not guilty. And once you have been declared not guilty in our judicial system, then you cannot be tried for that crime again. Friends, we have not stood before Judge Ito. We have been declared not guilty by the supreme judge of the universe, God Almighty. He has said because of the cross of Jesus Christ that we are not guilty. And the gavel has rung down. And therefore no one can stand to condemn us. There's a text in the book of Zechariah where Satan is standing before God. And he accuses the high priest of Israel that represents all of the Jewish nation. And this is a time when the nation has been in exile for 70 years. They are at the lowest, weakest, most morally depraved point of their their history. And so Satan accuses the nation. And he calls for the condemnation of God. Do you know what God's defense is? God does not defend Israel. He defends himself. In Zechariah 3, verse 2, it says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, I chose them. I love them. They are not righteous, they are not innocent, but that does not matter because I am the judge and I have pulled them out of the fire. It is on me and they are mine and so you can't do anything about it. And then God takes their filthy rags and he clothes Joshua the high priest with clean robes and he puts a turban on his head with the insignia, holy unto Jehovah. Friends, that's what God has done for us. The devil accuses us day and night, but day and night the angels of God sing about his throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You see, my defense is not in me and my works. My defense is the justice of God, and God has said, he's not guilty. And you say, well, wait a minute, Keith. You are guilty. <laughs> Who are you to judge? Uh, no, you're right. I am guilty. And so are you. And Romans 3 says that we are. That we um, have all fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is, you're not judging and neither am I. No one on this planet is. Only God is judge. And God has justified us. And then Paul asked the next question, verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Answer, Christ Jesus. But guess what? 
Jesus doesn't contend. Rather than condemn us, he died for us. It says, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you see the progression? Christ died, was raised, is seated at the right hand, and is interceding for us. Who can condemn me? Well, Jesus can. But he doesn't. Rather, he died for me, but what's more, he was raised for me. You see, the death paid for my ransom, and the resurrection is the receipt. The resurrection says the death, the death was accepted by God. The message of the empty tomb is that we are justified before God. But how do I know it's done? How do I know it's finished? Well, the next phrase Jesus is at the right hand. Or as Ephesians 2 says, Jesus sat down at the right hand. Bible trivia question for you. Um, if you look at the, at the um, Old Testament tabernacle and all the furnishings of the tabernacle, there were tables and lampstands and all that kind of stuff. Do you know what article of furniture was not in the Holy of Holies where God resided? A chair. There was no chair. Do you know why? Because the work of the priest was never done. The priest was always having to offer sacrifice for the sins that were being committed. And those sacrifices never ultimately did away with the sin. They just appeased God for a season. You see, the work of the priest was never done. But when Jesus, after he died on the cross and resurrected from the dead, he went to, to the right hand of the Father, and Ephesians 2 tells us that he what? Sat down. Why? It's not because he's lazy. It's because he's thorough. It's because it's done. It's finished. There's nothing more that I need to do than to trust in him because he's done it all. It's finished. And what's more, he is also interceding for me, which, which simply means that his presence before God serves as a continuous aroma of God's acceptance of me. Who can condemn me? Sin, it's paid for. Is it accepted? He was raised. Is it finished? He sat down. Will it continue? He intercedes. So who can condemn? Who can condemn? You see, when Satan accuses us before God, God just points to his son seated at his right hand, and then he points to us and he says, these are sticks that I have pulled from the fire. You got nothing. And thus, on the basis of God's love, on the basis of his justice, and on the basis of his son, Paul continues and he proclaims, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, meaning all of the trials and suffering that we go through in life. And friends, I want you to notice he doesn't say that these things will not happen. He says these are going to come, but will they be able to separate you from God's love? That's what we really want to know, isn't it? 
Does God really love us forever? See, we want to know if God still loves us when we have to bury the child that he gave us, as Ty and Amira shared last week. We want to know if he still loves us as we suffer through debilitating illness, as Deanne shared last week. We want to know if his love is still present in the hard times. And we want to know if his love is still present when we sin. How does he feel about me when my mind is in the gutter? How does he feel about me? Is his love still present when my anger boils over? You see, in all of those times, what we really want to know is if God is really for us, if he has really justified us, if we really are not condemned, does he really love me? For the answer to that, you just have to look to Calvary. Look at the cross. God says, that's me, your creator, your God. Those are my hands, my feet, my brow, my side that has been pierced for you. That is my blood that has been spilled for you. And the darkness, that is your sin on me. And the death I'm dying is your death that I'm dying. But I'm also being raised in your resurrection. That's how much I love you. Can anything come between you and the love of God? Verse 37, Paul says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are mega conquerors. We are super conquerors. We are above and beyond conquerors. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am convinced. Do you really want to know if God loves you? Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life Friends, there is not an event that can occur between the delivery room and the funeral home that can separate you from the love of God. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, there's no supernatural power in heaven or on earth that can separate me. Neither the present nor the future, there is no space of time that will separate me, nor any powers No authority on earth or beyond that will separate me. Neither height nor depth. There is no place you can go to get away from the love of God. Nor anything else in all creation. Why does he throw that in there? He's saying, well, just in case I left anything out. If there's anything you can think of, you fill in the blank. Anything else. No, that won't separate you either. No, there's nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you remember the first message of this series? Come on, it was only 16 sermons ago. (laughs) 
the main point of that message, the thing that we've been hearing every one of the testimonies end with, the main point was, I am loved by God. And I said, I asked you then to write that on your bathroom mirror. Or every day you would wake up and you would see this that said, I am loved by God. And I told you then that my prayer is that every week you will leave this place knowing a little more clearly how deeply loved by God you are. Friends, for the last eight chapters, Paul has has given us every evidence that we need to know that we are loved by God. And he comes to chapter 8 and he begins and he says, there's no condemnation. And he ends and he says, there's no separation. You are loved by God. So can I give you very quickly three points of application? Thank you. Number one, be convinced. Be convinced. Paul was convinced, but my question is, are you convinced? Do you, do you look at life sometimes and say, I don't really know. Friends, I don't know what else you can do, but what Paul has already done. You've got to be convinced, and it starts by being in Christ. There is nothing that can separate those of us who are in Christ. You see, the place that you begin to really know the love of God is when you step into Christ. And some of us haven't done that. Some of you haven't begun a relationship with God through Jesus. And so, if you want to know the love of God, i got to tell you, that's where it starts. It starts when you begin a relationship with Jesus. When you ask Him into your life and you put your trust in Him. Is it going to make all the stuff go away? No. But will it give you the strength and the perspective to walk through it? Yeah. Because you know, you know, you know that you are loved by God. That He is for you. Be convinced. Let that be settled in your heart and in your soul. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, nothing can separate me from God's love. Nothing can separate me from God's love. No matter how bad life gets, be convinced. Let this truth just soak into you. Let it become your your operating system. Be convinced. Number two, be comforted. I don't know about you, but this is an amazing truth to me. Um, That there is no accusation to condemn me that can succeed. There is no attempt to to undermine my justification that can succeed. 
God is for me. Friends, I don't know about you, but that comforts me incredibly. If you have that, if you have the love of Jesus, nothing compares to that. And you have everything, and therefore you should feel comforted. And here's the last one. Be conquerors. And by that I mean rise above the bad things that are coming your way. Because, friends, they're coming your way. You may not have gone through much suffering in your life to this point, And if you haven't, get ready. Because it's coming. But you can rise above that. You can be more than conquerors. You can step into this believing beyond doubt that no matter what life throws at you, ultimately it cannot harm you and that God is in fact using those things for your ultimate good. And one day they will be given to you as as a gift of God's grace. And that means that nothing can shake you. Nothing can stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Nothing can keep you from taking risks for God's kingdom and loving others with reckless abandon. That's what it means to be a conqueror. That you overcome whatever life throws at you. And you say, I know that God is for me. I know that God loves me. And I know, even though I don't want anybody to say this to me, I know that God is going to work good out of this. And so I'm going to walk through it. And I'm going to keep purpose. Friends, that's what it means to be more than conqueror. And when you live that way, you know what? You can taunt You can taunt the world. You can taunt the flesh. You can taunt the devil. And you can say, bring it on. Because you're not taking me down. Because God is for me. You can taunt trouble and hardship and nakedness and famine and danger and sword. And you can say, bring it on. Nothing's taking me down because God is for me and God loves me. Friends, that's what it means to be a conqueror. Why can we do this? Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you believe that? Uh, I'm thinking about it. Friends, if you believe it, then let's live it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, love is not an emotion, it's an action. And you have demonstrated beyond a shadow of doubt your love toward us. And so, Lord, I pray that that as a community of faith, we would we would step into that love. We would, we would live out of that love. And we would know that, that there's nothing, there's nothing 
that can separate us from that love. Lord, I pray that we would be convinced and that that means just having that thing on our bathroom mirror, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. Lord, whatever it takes, I pray that that you would help us be convinced of that fact because whether we feel it or not, it still is a fact. We are loved by you. I pray, Lord, that that, that would comfort us. And I pray, Lord, that that would give us the perspective to be the conquerors that you say that we are. And Lord, I pray for the person here this morning who who's not convinced. I pray that today they might step into relationship with you that would change everything. I thank you for uh, Mirzavad's testimony this morning and, and I thank you that that some of us have gotten to know him and, and walk with him and, and see the incredible transformation that has taken place in his life. because he knows your love. And I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here this morning that doesn't, that's not convinced, I pray that that they would step into your love today. They would put their trust in you, that they would say, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I believe Jesus died for me. receive that gift of life everlasting.